if it comes to spending money on our body, some people just don't see that as an investment. So you've got to change that mindset because it's imperative that you look after your body and brain through the years. Look, I'm a big buy on the longevity stuff. Now, I've penciled in that I want to live to 130. At the very least, let's get everyone to 100. You've got to look after yourself along the way. Hello and welcome to The Messy Middle. I'm your host, Andrew Horsfield. This podcast is designed for astute leaders like you who want to learn from leaders or experts in their field who can help you elevate your impact as you advance your career, company and life. You can find out more or listen to previous episodes at andrewhorsfield.com forward slash podcast. This month, I'm talking with Andrew May, the founder of Strive Stronger, a digital consultancy that's designed to wake people up to better ways of living, working, and leading. With dual degrees in physiology and psychology, Andrew's one of those rare people who understand how the body and brain work together to optimize performance in high pressure moments. And it's this highly tuned skill that's helped him become a sought-after coach and confidant to executives, elite athletes, and performing artists. He's a published author, a regular media commentator, and is the current mental skills coach for the Parramatta Eels. Essentially, Andrew loves what he does, and he's really good at it. And in this conversation, his deep commitment to his craft allows us to cover a lot of ground. So you'll want to grab a pen and paper to capture the ideas and wisdom that Andrew shares throughout our conversation together. It's time to listen and learn to performance expert, Andrew May. Andrew, thank you for joining me on The Messy Middle. It is great to be talking with you and I'm particularly looking forward to have a conversation around how people can find better ways to work, lead and live. So so welcome. It's great to be talking with you. Look, Andrew, what a perfect topic to be talking about the name of your podcast, The Messy Middle. I think the last 18 to 20 months, it's been hugely messy. I don't know whether in the middle of it yet, but there's some good lessons to learn about how to get through uncertain times, right? Life's not perfect, so it's tested all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we're out of the middle. So, mate, I wanted to to kick off our conversation with asking you about the English Channel Swim that you did and specifically, why did you do it and what did you learn about yourself during the process? I did it because I was bullied slash uh, coerced into it on ego. And what did I learn out of it? It was awful, but it was an amazing experience. My, my phone rang a couple of years ago. It was Natasha Moore. And at that time, Andrew, I was working at KPMG. And Tash rang me up and said, mate, I've just entered you in a swim. I said, Tash, I don't swim. <laughs> and then she parodied me and she even did my voice and said, but when was the last time you stopped playing the same game? You've got to get out of your comfort zone and regularly scare the living daylights out of yourself. Otherwise, you're just living this grey monochrome existence, my exact words. And she said that to me. I said, oh, Tash, you can't do this. I said, <laughs> she, she said, well, you've got to do it, champ. And mm. Natasha had done a program we did at KPMG and you know, it got Tash aligned and um, got back to fitness. And so Natasha thought, I'm going to do a swim, a relay swim with the English Channel. So she entered me in it. Um, <laughs> when I said to her, look, I don't swim, what, where's this swim from? She said, oh, it starts in Dover and it finishes around Calais, depending on tides. I said, I'm not doing that. And Natasha said, oh, that's okay. I'll just tell all of our colleagues that you wimped out. 
there may have been a little bit more creative language. And uh, I said, all right, I'll do it. And then I hung up the phone and I thought, oh, geez, what have I done? And that began a journey in my mind that I've got to get fit to swim. I wasn't a swimmer, Andrew. I was a runner and I was a poor swimmer. And then I left it like most men do for three or four months. And then when we got a message from the English Channel Association that we had to verify we were fit, match fit, and we had to go and do kilometres and kilometres of swimming and be able to swim nonstop for two to three hours in cold water, I thought, geez, I better start training. So I give Natasha mm-hmm. credit. I had anxiety attacks, uh, training for that, swimming in cold water, 14 or 15 degrees, which is what the English Channel is. Uh, swimming in dark water when you have the fear of sharks. It totally tested me, mate. But yeah. when I finished it, it was amazing. So did I enjoy it? In a macabre way, I loved scaring the living daylights out of myself and seeing what I was made of. And, you know, this you host a high-performance podcast. I think regularly, I think every month, we should scare ourselves a little bit. Adrenaline, dopamine, get out of your comfort zone. I think every couple of years you should scare the living daylights out of yourself. And, and the English Channel Swim for me was that. Yeah, and no, I mean, a couple of questions I have listening to you. The first of all is, you, did you do it with or without floaties? <laughs> yeah, it's a nice image, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, without floaties. And also, you, you don't wear a wetsuit. You wear a cap and men have to wear speedos or in Australia we call them budgie smugglers and women wear the, the female swimming costume. Uh, but, yeah, you, that's a big part of it. No wetsuit. No neoprene. And that's what I w- thought about in seeing the vision of you doing it. it is most of the time I've seen people swim the English Channel and, again, just vision, not live, but, you know, they're, they're maybe 90 kilos, they've got a bit of whale blubber all over them to keep the heat in and you were lean and how cold was it in terms of not having a lot of that, <laughs> that cushioning and, um, and warmth around you? We had a um, shipmaster. The, the boats and the crew you go with are really important because you're not told, oh, you're going to leave at 6 a.m. when the sun's coming up on Thursday. You get a call the night before, hey, there's a, a drop in the tide. It's, it's a very tidal canal, like huge currents. So you've got to run in with that. So you get a call, hey, we're leaving at 2 a.m. and we're going to be in the water at 3 a.m. So get ready. And Andy, who was our ship captain, when I dived in the water at 5 a.m., it was pitch black. He went, oh, F me. <laughs> you, you're yeah. built for the bloody track. You've got to F and freeze. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I did get lots of cold moments, uh, especially in the lead up to it. But I, I did the Wim Hof training, if any of your listeners are familiar with the crazy Dutchman that has acclimatised himself to the cold. So I actually had to make cold my friend. And we could talk about that a whole podcasts, but to just give you the bullet points, before I dive into the water, which when you go down the south coast, it's not cold enough in Sydney. In Melbourne, you just dive into the Port Melbourne Bay, which is gets under, into single figures. But if you dive into cold water and go, oh, geez, it's freezing, your brain tells your body, your body tells your brain, there's this feedback loop. And 10 seconds later, your toes are gone numb. And I know it's the monkey mind we talk about, but you go, you know, it's Cold water is my friend. I enjoy cold water. I had to really override that in a narrative, Andrew. And when I did that, I could swim a lot longer. That said, yeah, I'd get out and I'd shiver. Natasha and everyone would laugh at me because I'd spill hot chocolate all over me because I was shivering so much. I mean, you talk to people about optimal performance across different settings. And how important is that for your own philosophy that you you practice what you preach and do these sort of things 
you know, this is maybe being an extreme one, but doing the practice that you teach and train to other people? Yeah, I think it's massive because the whole human performance, that the space that we're in, Andrew, it's, it's really boomed the last four or five years. And I think there's some really good people in this space. And I think there's some people that maybe aren't as value aligned or aren't as credible. So from my end, I've always wanted to make sure, one, I practice what I preach, so walk the talk, but two, there's an academic rigour to what we do as well. So we're trying to always find that dance between science and art. And I think if you're going to talk about it, you know, you've got to periodically scare the living daylights out of yourself and experience it. Otherwise, you lose touch with what your clients and, and the people you write or podcast or connect with. So, yeah, mate, I think it's really important that anyone, but especially if you're in this human performance space, you, you've got to live it. And that doesn't mean, like, am I perfect? God, no, I got introduced at a large bank recently. Andrew is this performance expert, blah, blah, blah. And I corrected the MC. It was virtual because at the moment we're all doing virtual meetings. I said, look, you need to add to that. I've made heaps of mistakes. I've been a stuff up in lots of parts in my life, but I'm just good at all day correcting. Mm. You know, be, beware the person that comes with all the answers telling you that they're a wonderful expert. I really think I've learned so much more from the setbacks, from falling down and then picking myself back up. From my perspective, Andrew, that that is the ultimate success, isn't it? If your confidence overrides your comfort that allows you to keep pushing, allows you to keep striving, and of course there's mistakes as part of that, that's the formula, isn't it? Hence the podcast name and the work that we do. It's it's never a straight, easy line of, of success. There's always those ups and downs. So, so true. And look, our business is called Strive Stronger. Maybe pull those two words apart. Strive is from the French word estrave, the old French word, which means to push through challenge and come out the other side. And stronger, to, to us, it's stronger physically, psychologically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, uh, relationship if that's a word. So those two words together is really what I'm about and what, what our business is about. And, and I think now, more than ever, Andrew, when COVID first hit, so in Australia, the the line in the sand for us was Monday, 16th of March, when Scott Morrison introduced us to a new acronym, WFH. And we've been in and out of working from home and working from anywhere and homeschooling and everything else in between since March. So I think we've we've all had to get resilience. We've had to you know dig down and push through. And a lot of people really struggled. I think those people that have had a charmed existence, like I did the first 40 years of my life, you know, I'd been the performance guy, everything had gone well. But it took for me going through cancer about 13 years ago and then a marriage breakdown about eight or nine years ago that I really had to dig deep and put some of this stuff to, to practice rather than just talking about it. Yeah. And for you and your one, your experience and one, your knowledge in this area, what makes the difference between people who experience those definable moments? Because we all have them and they don't have to be, um, as you say, a cancer or a marriage breakdown. Sometimes it's just a comment that someone makes to you or an opportunity that is presented that you step into or don't. Or What do you see that is the key factor element that makes people who step into that opportunity and step back from that opportunity? I'm thinking as you're asking that, and I'm glad you went a little bit longer and just didn't do a pop and then make me answer, Andrew. So thank you for lengthening your question. That's okay. I think it's self-awareness. So the self-awareness to to put it into context, like, you know, what happened? What what can I learn from that? If I go a little bit deeper, uh, I'd say 
it's all about with Al, Albert Bandura and self-efficacy. So, and self-efficacy is really the power to change your situation. So I'd start it, I'd say it starts with an awareness. And then if that's linked into you actually do believe you've got the ability or you've got the power to change a situation, which is really what self-efficacy is all about. I think that's where you have a challenge in life and you get massive learnings. I think the people that don't learn, no self-awareness or they've got their head in the sand. And so then you're never likely to, to, to link that to a deeper understanding. We often want to avoid failure altogether, don't we? But it's that, as you mentioned earlier, that you've, you've tried, you've failed and then auto-corrected it. It's that auto-correction that creates the learning and the strength and the resilience. Uh, I call it failing forward, that you take the lesson and, and move forward. And then one of the, the, the issues I have at the moment with everyone getting a, a ribbon for 10th is you're, you're awarding mediocrity and you know, some of the work that I do with banks and consulting firms and, and telcos and even work with a number of athletes and actors and people you see on the TV behind the scenes. And as you get to know them in psychology, we call it case conceptualization. So you start with a blank sheet of paper, Andrew, and you, know, you start mapping their schema and what's happened and where they're at and how you can help them. It concerns me, and I know you've got two young kids, but it concerns me when your kids come back with a ribbon for participating. Whereas when you and I were kids, you know, you got a blue ribbon for first, a red for second, a green for third. And if you didn't get a ribbon, you'd work your little backside off. So next year, you got a coloured ribbon. Mm. So it taught us goal setting and it taught us the ability to you know, bounce back and taught us that everything is not perfect and ideal. So, yeah, I, I am concerned for my kids and, and the kids of this generation that we're making it too easy for them. So where does this wrap into what we've just said before? Getting out of your comfort zone and, and stretching yourself. It just does wonders for you. I'm interested in your thoughts there to to get your view about why productive struggle is is so good for us, whether that's, you know, building your relationship, looking for a, a new career shift or a the side hustle to be your, your primary business or whether it's the PB on the track that people are aiming for. W- what do we get out of that productive struggle and striving? Yeah, it's interesting when you look at this now. So we've just had the 2020 Olympics, even though they've still called it um, it's 2021, but they called it the Tokyo 2020. And post-Olympics, Andrew, there's a, a term called post-Olympic depression. So we know a lot of athletes who finish the Olympics, especially if they're retiring, if they haven't done transition on self-identity. So, you know, hi, I'm Sarah and I'm a swimmer. Oh, great, Sarah's a swimmer. She goes to the Olympics and then after that, well, Sarah was a swimmer. What do you do now? Nothing. So uh, I work with Parramatta Eels in the NRL as a mental skills coach. But I also make sure I have a lot of conversations with the boys and, and soon, thankfully, women in RLW, they're a little bit behind the AFL. But in any, any athlete I work with, it's like you're not just a footballer, you're a community member, you're a family member, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're a partner, a lover, all these different things. So it's really important that we have that rounded out identity. So when people fall after they hit a goal, it's because they aimed for the goal and there was nothing to come back. So really answering your question, it's not the goal, it's the struggle and it's the achievement by pushing through and investing time and energy and attention. That's what keeps us going, mate. It's not the trophy. It's actually it's hitting the goal after pushing through and getting the struggle. And you know, we look at now uh, currencies. So you know, it used to be pounds and now it's Aussie dollar and depending where you travel, it might be US dollar or sterling or you've got the euro. But when you look at the body, our, our real currency is dopamine. And, and some of the latest research around dopamine, it's not just about pleasure-seeking. 
but it's it's related to this whole network around you know pushing through and struggling and it's it's the path to achieving goals that keeps us hooked not actually achieving the goal so what does that mean you regularly should set and reset and challenge yourself with goals and some of the latest research on this as well tends to show that you know we all have dopamine but those people the, the so-called high achievers are just really good at tapping into it we all have that intrinsic filter that sort of says, oh, whatever it is, that's not quite the way I want it to be. So hopefully people are listening, they've spiked something in their subconscious and and might be already starting to think about what they might do differently, which probably leads me into one of the questions I was really keen to get your perspective on, which is why do we get stuck in this predominant myth of that if we're compliant and we work long hours and just do what the boss says, that that's how we get ahead in life? Oh, I've got heaps. We could do a separate podcast on that. Uh, Dr. Tom Buckley, who runs our research institute at Stride Stronger, we've recently released a paper called Burnout Proof. So five factors that inoculate you against burning out. Now, there's individual factors and then you've got organisational ones, the individual ones you can control. And it's interesting, Andrew, when you look at burnout, it's not about hours worked. And I've worked with loads of people over the years who've done 80-plus hours a week and they're fully engaged. They're healthy and fit. They're connected with their families and they're flourishing mm. in all parts of their life. And I've worked with people who are working 38 hours on the dot, not a minute more, not a minute less, and they're totally disengaged and miserable. So it's not about hours worked. So why do we get stuck on that? I think it's when people are trying to please and maybe don't have a really clear understanding of their identity. And if I went higher level, I'd, I'd say, what is your purpose or your calling? And, and when people are really clear on what their personal purpose is and when they act in alignment to that, they don't end up doing hours and hours and hours of work of non-productive activities in jobs they like to get heaps of money to buy things to impress people they don't even like as well. So it becomes this whole dilemma, right? So, yeah, and I've been there when I was in my early 30s, I sold my first business to the French uh, hotel company, Accor. Uh, that company is now Executive Health Solutions. It's Australia's largest executive health assessment centre. And when I first got in there, the culture was just every Monday morning was back-to-back meetings. And uh, I had this epiphany, Andrew. I was finishing writing a work-life balance program, and you can tell me what's wrong with this by this story. And I finished it at 3.17am, <laughs> turned my laptop off, drove home, had 90 minutes sleep, drove to the airport, flew to Perth, presented it for partners at Ernst & Young, flew back across another ball and thought, my God, Jerry Maguire moment, the way I'm working isn't working. Mm. But you know, I had that experience and I just thought, I'm doing everything to impress everyone else. So I was like, no, no, I'm going to redefine the way I work. So to unpack that, number one, have a clear understanding of why you are doing what you're doing. And if it's not purpose, at least what gives you meaning and pleasure. And then two, write some productivity rules because hours worked is not productivity. Hours worked is hours worked. We've got choices to make. We've got these abilities to make these small changes. So uh, one of the things I'm wondering in listening to you is what's what's some of the common or harder behaviour changes or beliefs that you have to shift when you're working with people to to make that shift from the, you know, the 38-hour-a-week person into the 80-hour-a-week fully engaged person? I, I think it's the either-or mentality, which is dichotomous thinking. And people might think either I'm going to be a really successful male or female executive. So to do that, I've got to put everything else on hold and do the 70 to 80 hour weeks. 
or I'm going to be a connected mother, father, partner, family member, friend, community, be healthy and fit. And I go, no, no, it's not either or, it's and. And, and I've been blessed um, to work at the pointy end of human performance uh, in sport and in the corporate world. And there's a real fine dance, Andrew, between pushing the body's physical and psychological resources to stretch and not snap or pushing them to bend and not break. And, and I think there's a really nice red thread through this. It's, you know, struggle's good and challenge is good, but you've got to also have some downtime to reflect and to recharge and to reconnect and bounce back as well. So I think a lot of people when they're starting in their career, and I was definitely like this, writing the you know, work-life balance program at 3.17am, I thought I've got to you know, put everything on hold and just work my backside off because I'd had a few mentors and role models who were like that as well. And then I suddenly realised, no, you get one body, you get one brain. If you trash it, you know, the expiry date's going to come up a lot quicker than it should. So I learned in my early to mid-30s about and. So how do I be connected at work? How do I be so-called successful at work hitting the work goals? And how do I have a life outside? And how do I be a good family member? And how do I be healthy and fit? And how do I have fun, laughter, pleasure and play? It's not easy to get that, but I think people should not be going either or. It should be and. How do I do both? And, and, And you know this. Loads of research that shows when you're healthy, fit, psychological and flexible, you perform much better at work anyway. Which was probably my leads into my next question about why should people who are listening invest in their mind and body fitness and, and living a good life? Why, why does it matter? Why should they do it? Look, I'll, I'll disclose first of, before I answer that, I'm one of those weird people that love exercise. So I was a, a middle distance runner growing up. Um, went to the Tasmanian Institute of Sport as a coach and an athlete. So, look, I love fitness, Andrew, and I've worked with multiple sporting teams around the world. So fitness is my drug of choice. So I'll underscore this answer. There's a personal bias here. But I, I've done it for that long that I just don't know what it's like to not do exercise. Um, I, I heard Wayne Pierce say recently when someone asked him a similar question, he said, well, for him, exercise is like a fish in water. Yeah, and, and, and the fish needs water. And Wayne said, if I didn't have the water, I'm a fish, I'd die. So he said, if I had it, didn't have exercises, I'd die as well. But for someone who listens to this and goes, oh, yeah, mate, you're on a different planet. You know, I didn't grow up with that role modelling around being healthy and fit or, you know, I wasn't active or maybe I was overweight. You're not going to love when you first start exercise, but push through it and try and reverse engineer, try and override your brain because after time you'll feel a lot better. So that means when you start, you're going to be looking at every excuse under the sun. And Andrew, I'm sure you've heard them. And there's a litany that start with two, T-double-O, why I shouldn't exercise, too hot, too cold, too light, too dark, too hilly, too flat, too humid, and too tired, too busy, too many kids, blah, blah, blah. I just think there's too mm. many bullshit excuses we give ourselves and we buy into it. And that becomes our narrative that we believe on why we shouldn't do exercise. If exercise was a, a drug, and I had manufactured it or you had manufactured it, we'd be billionaires. The benefits you get from exercise, it's ridiculous. But as human beings, we're lazy. We get stuck in the same game. So sometimes you just need to you know, give yourself a bit of a kickstart. And if you don't love the fitness, learn to love the benefits you get from it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the, the book you've written, Match Fit, is a really great guide for how people can create that optimal performance but within the realms of the everyday life that you're talking about. 
So I just wondered if you could share a little bit about what does a, a good high performance blueprint look like? What are the critical elements or, or tangible actions that people, you know, need to take to produce the positive outcomes that you're talking about? Well, you've just mentioned the book, so it's hard for me to not go into the IP of the book, Andrew. So in, in match fit, oh, I'd love you to. Yeah, doc, Dr. Tom Buckley and I talk about six levers, and they are move, fuel recharge, think, connect, and play. So move is all about day-to-day movement and physical activity, two separate things. A lot of people go, oh, I need to do fitness training and go to the gym. No, 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 just start, get 10,000 steps every day to wake up your mitochondria and keep your joints lubricated and everything going really well. Then build planned exercise on top of that. Particularly now, I think, Andrew, when we're working from home, because it's it, we just don't have those natural opportunities as, as much, do we, just in that basic movement yeah we don't but we do if you change the routine because nowadays andrew i go click new meeting you know click webinar click podcast you know click media interview whereas it used to be you'd walk somewhere so we did have a lot more incidental movement yeah but we, we, we run a program called 30 day boost and we're doing that with lots of organizations it's about you know new ways of working it's about mental well-being and psychologically flourishing. It's about uh, preventing burnout. It's also about making habits stick. And the first thing we do in our very first week is we just say, look, you've got back-to-back meetings. At the start of every day, look at the two meetings that you can walk on Mm. and then turn your video screen off because we know that a webinar's video uh, meetings are twice as cognitively draining as if you and I were sitting in a room together. So you don't need to do all these from your laptop. So the next one is fuel and, and nutrition. You know, it's a pretty easy one. You know, let's start with don't. Don't drink too much. Don't flood yourself with sugar and be inflamed and you know, don't have all processed shitty um, packaged foods. So if you think of your plate, and we call this the performance plate, half of it should be from vegetables. A quarter, you'd have good protein. Uh, and again, if you're talking about meat, go organic, grass-fed, and then a quarter you would have performance carbs. So that would be brown rice, sweet potato, pumpkin. And then in the middle, have a, a good serving of healthy fats. Now, if you have that as your plate for most meals, you're going to be lean, you're going to be healthy, you're going to feel good and have lots of energy. And on top of that, for most people, Andrew, we say get three to four AFDs, alcohol-free days. Now. Alcohol in moderation is fine, but if you're every night having two, three glasses, two, three beers, half a bottle becomes a bottle, you're kidding yourself because the next day you're operating in a hangover state. Recharging, something that I think, you know, a lot of people know but we just underestimate the value of. Yeah, this was uh, the opportunity I had to, to work, you know, with some amazing athletes and sporting teams over the years. The world's best athletes and the world's best teams spend more money, more resources on recovery than they do on training. So with recharge, we talk about two things. One is recover the body. So that's parasympathetic activation. And then from a brain point of view, it's psychological detachment, so switching off. So a really good example now for COVID because a lot of people aren't bookending the days like we used to, Andrew. That commute to work serves as a couple of things. It's, it's a warm-up, you know, a physical and psychological warm-up before you get to work. There's also a, a lot of research done around uniform and putting a uniform on. And I don't just mean a, a police officer, I don't just mean an athlete, but you know, putting on a corporate uniform, there's this, oh, I'm getting ready to go to work. So we've got to get bookends to punctuate the start of the day if you're working from home and definitely at the end of the day and, and link this into recovery. 
just getting a glass of wine and then sitting down in front of the TV every night is not active recovery. That keeps your body in sympathetic nervous system and it keeps your brain in beta. So doing some active recovery at the end of the day, which generally involves disconnecting from technology, it could be an Epsom salt bath, it could be a stretch, it could be go for a walk in the park with your dog, again, not a high-intensity fitness walk, could be an easy bike ride or a swim in the creek or in, in the ocean. That's stuff that is very much aligned to helping you recover so you can bounce back and operate properly the next day. So, yeah, look, again, I'm a big, big, big proponent that you've got to train hard but recover even harder. And, and corporate workers, we're, we're, we're generally terrible at that. It's just, you know, harder, faster, higher, stronger the way we work. And then recovery, we tend to crash on holidays and, and get sick when we've got time off. Yeah, and I, th- I think it, it wouldn't be uncommon for people listening where they, they do the work, they get home or have a small break if they are working from home, have their dinner, do something, and then it's opening up and back into that work state, you know, to finish things off uh, rather than some of those ac- activities that, uh, that you've spoken about. Yeah, and if you can just... Yeah, stack some of these little habits. Don't, don't put them all into practice straight away because you go, oh, God, this guy, what's he on? Um, and it's too hard. Just pick one or two. Do that for a few weeks and then stack another couple. And the, the interesting thing, and Andrew, you know this, when you're moving and you're eating well and you're recovering properly, you've got so much more energy. Your productivity levels go through the roof. Your emotional intelligence is better. Your heart rate variability. You've got better decision-making. You, you manage pressure better. So there's a real process to this. Just start, you'll get more capacity, then you can take more on. It's a lovely thing from, from not expecting, you know, that change of taking on, on too much. It's terrific advice, um, Andrew. So playing connected, the, the two levers we haven't covered? Yeah, or the quick, quick one on think. And, uh, oh, sorry, think, yes. You can absolutely train the way you think. Sport's been a good example of this. Uh, for years, sport was just about your craft. So if you're good at netball or golf or tennis, all you do is you practice netball, golf or tennis. And then strength and conditioning coaches came in. So we know, number two, you can definitely train your body. So one, you can train your craft, your job. Two is you can train your body. But three, you can absolutely train your mind. So mental skills are tools for the mind. So if you want your body to be fit, fast, flexible and strong, you do reps and sets. If you want your brain to be fit, fast, flexible and strong, you do reps and sets. So Dr. Nicola Gates and I, we have a mental skills academy with 12 essential mental skills, starting with uh, your talk, self-talk and storytelling, and then we look at self-awareness and energy management, right up through to optimism, confidence and drive. And I won't go through each one, Andrew, but I just want to impress upon your listeners, you absolutely can change the way you think, but you've got to do the reps and the sets. You've got to train it. It reinforces for people that it's the it's the practice, you know, out of the out of that decision making moment that allows you to do it in the decision making moment. That idea of practicing it, I think, is really really valuable. Yeah, and practice it first of all, like any skill. Then add pressure, and then under pressure, it becomes your default. Yeah. So connect. You got to connect with your purpose, and uh, Tom and I did a big deep dive into the research on this. And if you have a clearly articulated purpose, you're going to bounce back from adversity quicker, you're going to live longer, and you're going to earn more money. So there's a big buy on why you should clearly articulate your purpose. Connect with other people, connect with your community, and on a higher level, connect with nature. And, and I think that's been really, really important through COVID just to show how important connection is. So while we might be socially isolated, it doesn't 
mean we need to be disconnected from family, friends and loved ones. And I'm going to sound like I'm almost sort of disputing what I said before because a lot of that connection at the moment is technology. But use your technology, don't abuse it. But at the moment you can really keep connection going up with FaceTime and, and all the different mechanisms on social media used properly. And it's better to do do it in the way that we're able to rather than not do it at all because it's not perfect or not good enough. Absolutely. And the final one, so we've done move, fuel, recharge, think, connect, and play is the sixth lever. And when I said, oh, we're going to run on play, Dr. Tom is Associate Professor at Sydney University. We had some robust conversation, which is good because I think we need healthy dialogue or robust conversation. We can sometimes be too passive and you know, when you have that trust and safety, you can have a really robust argument. And he said to me, mate, seriously, we're going to be running on play? Um, I said, look, dig into it. I'm sure there's some research. And Stuart Brown, who's one of my, I've got a psychological crush on Stuart. He's in his 80s. He set up the National Institute of Play in the US. He is a psychologist practicing, you know, we'd say traditional psychology for a lot of years. And by his own admission, he wasn't bringing much colour to his life and to his practice. And he set up the National Institute of Play and he's done a lot of research on this. And it's really interesting. Play deprivation is very similar to sleep deprivation. So, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you're tired, you're listless, irritable, uh, your creativity drops, you're not innovative, and you're not a very happy person to be around. Very similar attributes on people who've got play deprivation. So build laughter and fun and play into your schedule. So important. You know, as you say, there's six things that you can make a start and Uh, For people who are listening or want to listen back, I mean, you've also within the six mentioned a couple of other areas that that are subsets, if you like, of those six. So there's lots for people to think about there to what they might tackle or what um, piqued their interest. One of the things I'm really keen to ask you as well, because I think we often talk a lot about the shift from from struggle to strong, but but we sometimes forget about sustaining the the result when we've put in this hard work to achieve something. So. I thought, look, if you were delivering a two-minute masterclass on sustaining success, what would you advise? I like that, from struggle to strong. Yeah, I, I advise two things that come to me on the spot. The one is accountability, and the second thing is put it into your diary, and, and the two are linked. So uh, accountability, first of all. I was a personal trainer in my 20s in Hobart, and all these people would rock up and pay me money and I'd get them fit and I thought they liked me. And, and I found out when it, I was leaving, it was actually my farewell part, party, they called me the friendly prick or for you know, politically correct terms, the friendly bastard um, because I was nice and affable, but I trained them really hard because it's all I knew, right, in sport. If you wanted to get fit, you just do the reps and sets. So people would say, I want to lose weight. And I'd say, look, just rock up and see me three times a week and do two group sessions, one individual, I'll sort out your diet, I'll see you next week. And they'd want to have a cup of tea and sticky buns. I'm like, well, you know, just train three times a week. So I actually realised, Andrew, the reason I got the results was that accountability because it was that friendliness or that tough love that got people going. Um, I, I have a personal trainer. Like I've educated thousands of personal trainers around the world. That's how I started speaking at fitness conference globally. But I have a personal trainer, Dan, because I see him on a Monday and he gets me out of my comfort zone. So there's a really nice link back to what you said about struggle and getting out of your comfort zone. So that's the first thing. Keep yourself accountable. And it could be family members, friends, colleagues, a, a whole range of different methods on that. And the second one, for over a decade now, I've been using a construct we call the Better Week, and it's putting it in your diary. So if you look at my diary, Andrew, it's colour-coded. So orange for me is fitness, yellow is personal, 
Uh, blue is media and podcast. Pink is IP creation and online stuff. Green is coaching. Grey is that quadrant two. And there's a few other colours in there as well. Uh, light green is kids. Uh, so I, look, I can look in my diary and I can tell you how aligned I am to my business goals, but also how aligned I am to my purpose by the colours. But the, the act of putting it in your diary, it, it then focuses your attention to do it. And, and I find if you do this long enough, your behaviour then becomes automated. So they're the two things. Keep yourself accountable to others. And secondly, put stuff in your diary that's important. We all put in work meetings, but with a better week construct, we say, no, first of all, put time in for you, self-care. Put in time for your family and loved ones. You know, put in some time for interests, hobbies and passions, fun and play. Oh, by the way, then put in work. A couple of things just before we wrap up. I'm wondering if there's something that you've learned in all your time, experience, work that you've learned about peak performance that everyone else misses that you may not have mentioned already? Yeah, gee, that's a good one. Um, I think there's no secrets. They're, they're, you know, the, the information is there. There might be new information, but it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. So I'll just divide your answer. There is no one way. You know, people say this is the best weight rubbish. Uh, but you've got to tailor the peak performance in inverted commas material for the person. So, Andrew, if someone comes to me and, and they've done every podcast, they've listened to your stuff inside out, they've read all your books, you know, they listen to Tim Ferriss and they listen to Aubrey Marcus and you know, they've done all the stuff and they're wearing a whoop band, I, I'm assuming that person's educated. Sometimes that person is actually taking it back and not doing too much and actually <laughs> putting it back into a bit of balance. So, the opposite of that is someone who's overweight, you know, highly inflamed, super stressed, don't have any of the mental skills. They shouldn't be doing the pointy end stuff. They just need to get off the technology, stop drinking every night, walk more and lose 10 kilos. So I think the real key is tailoring the performance manuscript for where the person's at. There is so much we could um, cover, Andrew, and uh, maybe down the track I can I can get you back on to pick apart some of those other answers that we said there's another podcast in there. But with, with the time we have left, is there something that I've missed or we haven't discussed that you want to mention or reinforce? Look at managing your body and brain just like you do a share portfolio or your house. And I see this especially with middle-aged males, Andrew. They, they spend all this money on their car. And I'll say to guys, you know, when the dashboard diagnostic goes red, what do you do? I take my car to the service, mate, or, you know, I get the hoist up and I do it myself if you're mechanically inclined. They go, oh, why do you do that? And they look at me like I'm stupid. Oh, I love my car, mate. How long have your knees been going off for? Or how long has that shoulder impingement been there for? Or how long has that belly been bulging over your belt? Oh, 10, 15 years? So the, the dashboard diagnostic's been going on. But if it's the car or something's not working at the house, we just spend money on it straight away. If it comes to spending money on our body, some people just don't see that as an investment. So you've got to change that mindset because it's imperative that you look after your body and, and brain through the years. Look, I'm a big buy on the longevity stuff. We could chat about that next time. Now, I've penciled in that I want to live to 130. Uh, at the very least, let's get everyone to 100. You've got to look after yourself along the way. Yeah, lovely. Andrew, how can people find you if they want to read, learn, find out more about, about what you're doing and how they can engage with you? Uh, the best way is andrewmay.com and there you can also you know, see the podcast that I do as well, the books and, and all the other stuff, social media, but andrewmay.com is the best, 
best way to find me. And we'll obviously put all the uh, links to to all of your bits and pieces uh, at the bottom of the show notes. So thanks so much for um, for such compelling insights. And I think we have covered a lot for people to listen to, listen back to, hopefully take some notes on on just some really clear and compelling strategies on how we can all just work, lead and live a little better. It's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, it's like a pleasure. I really credit you with the podcast you've done. You're doing a great job on this as well. And the stuff you're doing as well, we're very aligned. And yeah, it's, there's no panacea. There's no pill, potion, bottle or lotion, right? It's just, it, it's building this stuff on time. And that's what you've done with your business as well. So shout out to you for doing a great job uh, bringing this podcast to other people. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Just a couple of things before we wrap up. If you enjoyed this episode and think listening to more interesting and insightful conversations like this one is a good investment of your time, please subscribe by clicking on your preferred podcasting platform at andrewhorsefield.com forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to receive a monthly email from me with insider content, recommended reading and free events that I regularly run to help you advance people in performance, then sign up for content that's been curated specifically for curious minds like yours at andrewhorsefield.com free stuff. Thanks for listening.